A reading from the book of Leviticus, beginning in the 16th chapter. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them before the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. Then he shall slaughter the the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place, because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same, he is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out. Having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meaning and and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat 
and confess over it all the wickedness and the rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offerings for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterwards, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and, do not, and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. The word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So we've been doing something uh, rather unusual for us uh, for the last couple of weeks. We've been doing a sermon series rather than just follow the lectionary. So we've been spending the last couple of weeks looking at what it means to worship. And to recap quickly, what we've said is that worship is our holistic response to the holiness and glory of God. And we said that holiness is God's utter uniqueness and, the, and his glory is the manifestation of his holiness, of his uniqueness. It's the picturing of his power present in all creation, but also especially present in the gathered worship of his people. So last week we looked at the place of worship and we saw that the tabernacle was a way back into relationship with God. It was the doorway back that God made for his people, his wayward creation, to come back into relationship with him. Tonight, we're going to take a little closer look at that idea as we consider the main function of the tabernacle, which is sacrifice. And what I want us to see tonight, above all, is that worship 
always requires sacrifice. Always. Worship is always costly. The idea of sacrifice and worship preceded Israel's liturgical life, right? I mean, we see that even as early as Cain and Abel, the second pair of humans. We see it in Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Sacrifice was always an important part of human beings' understanding of how they were to relate to God. And yet here in the tabernacle and eventually in the temple, there develops an elaborate sacrificial system. It included purification offerings, burnt offerings, reparation offerings, dedication offerings, peace offerings. In addition to that, there were purification rites and tithes and free will offerings. And there was a whole other angle to the sacrifices that didn't even include just what was happening at the tabernacle. But there were Sabbaths and Jubilee years and even the harvest regulations for the landowners that we don't have time to get into today. Suffice it to say, the law is truly summed up as Christ said it was in showing most concretely love of God and love of neighbor. And that all included sacrifice and the way that you used your resources both in worship of God and in provision for your neighbor. Now, this elaborate sacrificial system that includes all of these different types of offerings all funneled right down into Leviticus 16, which was read for us this evening, down to the Day of Atonement. There were many different feasts and fasts in Israel's liturgical life, much like the church, but the Day of Atonement was probably the most important celebrated still today as Yom Kippur. And it figures in quite prominently to Christian theology as well. And next week, we're going to consider the sacrifice of Christ in light of what we are talking about this evening. And to be honest, we could spend weeks talking about sacrifice, threading out each ritual with all its intended meaning, because it's an enormous concept that looms large in the collective memory of humanity most world religions at some point had some sort of sacrifice system, right? Now, in more modern times, that has no longer been the case. This has sort of been removed from, from human life in a daily way. But in our collective memory, going all the way back, there's this idea of ritual sacrifice that, that looms large, and there's a lot to be said about it. But as I said tonight, we're going to try to cut things a little bit short. So I want to just look at two things. What's in the blood and who's on the altar? Now, in our current day and age, you'd be forgiven for assuming that beef was manufactured somewhere and comes pre-wrapped in butcher twine and paper. I can still see this little look in my four-year-old's eye when we start to talk to her about the different things that she's eating, and it's almost like she kind of wants to ask the question and connect it with live animals, but then she just can't go there. We have insulated ourselves like no other culture on earth from the life cycle right? We don't see our food get killed. We don't tend to see our friends and family even get buried. We have life celebrations rather than funerals. I mean, there was a time in the middle of this century when, when husbands wouldn't even see their children be born in the hospital, right? We've cut ourselves off from the life cycle in pretty substantial ways. And so when we come to a text like Leviticus, it's easy to get fixated on what appears to our ears to be a death cult of some sort, rather than seek to understand the meaning of what we're hearing. So there's a lot of talk about sprinkling blood in our reading this evening. 
there are a couple of things to understand here that give important framing to what's going on. And one is that there is no value in death. There is no value in death. This gets caricatured so often as God being this insatiably violent being who is so enraged at the existence of humanity that it's on us to just kill whatever we can get our hands on to try to sate his bloodthirstiness. But when looked at closely, that is not at all the picture that Scripture presents. In fact, there's a key to understanding this elsewhere. When God is giving Moses commands for the Israelites to follow, and he's talking about their dietary restrictions, and what he says to them is that they cannot eat meat with the blood in it because why? The life is in the blood. He says this over and over. The life is in the blood. The idea of sacrifice is that in spilling of the blood, the sacrificial victim there, the life of that creature is being released for another purpose. There is no value in death. But in spilling of the blood, it is symbolically showing that the life of the victim is being released for another purpose. In this case, it is the spiritual purpose of atonement. Now, atonement is one of those fun $10 words that we throw around in church a lot. And it has a lot of facets to it. There, there are entire theological systems built around your view of the atonement. And again, we do not have time to get into it this evening, but the main thrust that everybody agrees with about what atonement really is, is basically what we talked about last week. Atonement is a way of being back in the presence of God without being consumed. So if you've been to Bible camp or Bible college, you've the speaker invariably says it's at one meant, right? Anybody? No? Am I the only one who has to suffer these cheesy jokes and they just bang around in my head? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the way of being at one with God again. What the sacrificial system means is that life, symbolized by blood, is required for us sinful creatures to be in relationship with a holy God without being consumed. That's what the sacrificial system is pointing to. It is required for a life to be devoted over to God. That's what it's about, and it's being symbolized in the blood. Now, at a certain point, the logic of these things is beyond us, and we simply have to affirm what Scripture teaches. And in the very next chapter in Leviticus 17, God actually says very directly, I have given blood to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. So at a certain level, beyond what we can say about what God's holiness does or does not require, or what sinfulness does or does not make necessary, we have to understand at a base level, sacrifice that makes atonement is a gift. It is a gift from God to humanity. It's a correspondence to the giftedness of life in creation. The idea of blood being a symbol for life starts to make more sense, I think, when we understand who it is that's on the altar. In liturgical life, that is to say, in life in this world that is self-consciously worshipful, there is always, always, always a representative nature to things, to reality. And this is one of those things, I think, that is very difficult for us as Americans to really grasp because our entire conception of ourselves is as individuals. But for many cultures and for much of history, that has not been the case. And while personhood is an extremely important category, 
I have to say, in many ways, our individualism that has been malformed has served to cloud our view of reality, which is that there is a deeply connected nature to all of reality. The world is connected. You see, in the rituals of the sacrifice, if you were to come, and we were in Old Testament in Israel, and I was one of the priests, right? And you were to bring your animal for sacrifice. I wasn't the one who did the killing. You were. All I was doing was collecting the blood and taking it to the altar. It was the congregant who ritually slayed the animal. And only in the atonement ritual that we read about this evening was it the high priest who did the actual killing. And did you hear it over and over and over again? Why was Aaron to kill that bull? To make atonement for his own sin and the sin of his family. And this is where the representative nature of things starts to fold in multiple layers all at once. Because who's on the altar isn't just the animal. It's the person who brought the animal to be sacrificed. When the worshipers would come and loose the blood, what they should have done so is with an awareness that that animal represented them. That's why in the psalm that we read this evening, similarly within Isaiah, where God chastises people, almost begging them to stop sacrificing, it's because they have become mechanistic about it. They have ceased to realize that it is themselves that are under the knife. They've just sort of done the math and figured out, well, I can get away with X number of sins and sacrifice Z number of animals and everything will work out fine. They're not realizing that it actually costs their own life to be back in God's presence, symbolized in this animal. On the Day of Atonement, it is Aaron who alone goes into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifice. But notice, he's not wearing his priestly getup. He's wearing a simple linen tunic. Aaron, as high priest, alone can enter, but it's not because he is special or better. In fact, the verse right before where our Leviticus reading started served as a reminder. God says to Moses to remind Aaron why his sons were killed. They were struck dead for worshiping God wrongly. Aaron's sons were also priests, but they attempted to make their own way of access and were killed, which serves to show us there is nothing special about priests. They are not somehow better. They are not morally superior. They are not more favored by God. Aaron wears the simple linen tunic and enters into the Holy of Holies as Israel. Part of the reason he takes off his priestly vestments is to reveal himself as nothing more than a member of Israel. But it's the, the reason that only the high priest can do it is because only in the person of the high priest is the entire community represented. So Aaron enters in as Israel, bearing a bowl of the blood of the sacrifice, which also represents Israel. And you can say, okay, great, is this just about Israel? Well, just as Aaron the high priest represented the entire community of Israel being allowed to enter into the holy dwelling of God, bringing with him the representation of their life in that bowl of blood, so Israel was always to be a nation of priests. This was declared to them as they left Egypt. They were to be a nation of priests. So if you'll permit me, the Day of Atonement was the original Earth Day. Just as the tabernacle is a microcosm of heaven and earth, 
So the one person standing in front of the mercy seat, sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice, is in some sense a microcosm of humanity. In this moment, God's entire universal project is in scope. When the high priest enters in, he is standing in the place of all human beings of the entire world and offering it back to God as a gift. And this is why I say that what the world has always needed and what it needs now most is people who worship God rightly, not because it will make you a better neighbor, though hopefully that will happen, but because in true worship the entire world is being brought back into the presence of God and presented as a gift, as an offering. This is what the sacrifice means. It is a gift of life. There is a representative that gives up life so that life might be given to the worshiper. This is something that the people of Israel knew from experiencing it over and over again and that they were to keep consciously in their minds as they came to the tabernacle to worship. Now we are still slowly building our way toward how it is possible for us to live a life hidden in Christ with God. What I want us to see this evening is that God is gracious and merciful in giving us a place where he will dwell among his people. And he is gracious and merciful in giving us a means of atonement, all of which point to Christ. This entire elaborate system is a shadow of the reality to come in Christ, which we will see next week. As I've said before, I'm wrestling with sort of holding us back a little bit from the full-on good news. But if, if the Old Testament saints can go their entire lives, we can go one more week, can't we? One more week. Next week, we're going to see Christ, the Lamb of God, giving up his life for the life of the world. Tonight, we'll simply say that worship always requires sacrifice, which means that worship is always costly, and I will just encourage you to come back next week and marvel at the costliness of worship that God himself is willing to pay. And for tonight, as we continue in the liturgy, I encourage you to listen, to watch, to taste with new senses. Come to the altar with a renewed understanding of the blood of the Lamb. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.